the greater value that we have of wanting to hear God, as well as recognizing maybe the majority of my loving thoughts, quality thoughts, brilliant thoughts are actually God thoughts and Him speaking, rather than taking the ownership for them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Impact a Life Tree podcast inspiring you to take Jesus into your everyday lives. My name is Jessica Jean, and I've got Will with me. Hey, guys. Will, you interviewed Bruce Friesen today. I did. I got to sit down with Bruce and hear some incredible stories about his journey with hearing God's voice. Now, that concept of hearing God's voice or the prophetic, as some people know it, there's a lot of confusion or uncertainty or maybe even fear around that concept. And through his stories and through some of his insights, he really makes hearing God accessible. I always love to hear about how others hear God's voice because it makes me think about different ways that I can listen for God to speak to me too. So let's jump right in. Bruce, thanks for joining us today on Everyday Impact. Well, it's good to be with you, Will, and I'm looking forward to where we're going to go. One of the things that we wanted to hear from you today is just this rich history of following God's voice. I know for me, when I came to this community for the first time, it was uh, it was a special moment for me because I didn't necessarily know that God wanted to speak like you claim he does. Um of course, through the Bible, but what kind of relationship can we have with his voice? And so, Bruce, would you share with us a bit about your journey? What was it like when you were a kid and, and growing up in church? Well, now I'm more curious because of the comment that you made when you started coming to the church. You weren't aware of how God wanted to be able to speak to you. And I'm just even curious as to your journey and how you became, you became interested in hearing him. Yeah, And how this community, in one sense, whether we say the culture and the values, was a, was a contributing factor to you desiring to hear more. I think it, uh, it just showed me what was possible. When someone could come up to you after a service and say to you, hey, I feel like God's sharing a word for me with you, for you, and you hear this word, and you're like, wow, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That was, that was something that spoke to my circumstances, to my inner world, and it, it definitely was a part of the culture here. It was, it was something that you guys as a team and you as a, a leader kind of sewed into this culture before people would say to me, uh, we, we can't really open up ourselves to the spiritual realm. We don't know what kind of deception we might get into and... I would say in, in some of the churches, I was actually discouraged from taking a, a stab at trying to hear God's voice in a, a more maybe mystical way. What were some of the words that you either remember, maybe not the whole thing, but just a part and the impact that you feel that it had on you? You know, what's interesting is looking back, it's, none of the words really stuck in my memory. It was more the feeling that I had. I can't say uh, that it was a... I didn't journal actively. I didn't record them. I kind of let 
these experiences slip, I'm sure that there would have been a value in that practice. But um, what really left a lasting mark on me was this feeling of being seen and being known. That when someone could speak uh, into my heart, someone who didn't maybe even know much about what was going on, it's like, wow, I feel I feel seen in, in such a deep way, not just by people, but like God sees me. I appreciate your response. The dynamic of that you said, being seen and being known, and my guess would be as well of then being understood. Mm-hmm. I think we have a high value of being seen, known, and understood, and then hopefully valued as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So again, just uh, reframe or rephrase the question that you initially had. <laughs> And we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. As I mentioned that, you know, this is the culture that I came into. And a lot of that had to do with how you led and what you taught and what practices you infused into this community. But where did that start for you? And in a lot of churches, it's different experiences with, does God speak today? Does God not speak? Take us back to how uh, your faith journey got started. Well, I will say initially I got saved at age five. And uh, at that time, I became very consciously aware of the presence of God, although I didn't know that he was speaking to me. And as I reflect back, now I recognize that he was speaking to me, but it was the way that I felt and the impression that it left upon me that now I would go, that was God speaking to me, and that his word has a powerful effect on my heart and on Mm. my mind. So what did your relationship with God look like through your uh, youth and through your adolescence? Well, I will say at age five, when I initially gave my life to Jesus, all of a sudden the sky was blue, the trees were green. Uh, I was consciously aware of his presence, and I was in awe of God through nature. Mm. And I wanted to just be in nature as much as possible because I experienced him in the context of nature, and I still do to this day. Hmm. And what did that progression look like then? It's a relationship, it's growing. Well, I would say that through being aware of his presence and of a recognition when I made decisions and choices where all of a sudden, you know, we call it uh, grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit— I would say I developed a spiritual sensitivity of I didn't like it when he wasn't there. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. But my conscious awareness of his presence diminished when I was making choices uh, that were affecting my relationship with him. And I got more and more sensitive of wanting to maintain that connection because I didn't like predominantly the way I felt when I lost that connection. Hmm. And I recognized that there's a responsibility that I have to be able to walk with him. I, you know, I would say that it wasn't until I was 17 and in Edmonton, Alberta, that I really started hearing God in a profound way. But there was a level of surrender and consecration to the Lord, of fasting, of praying in the context of a very vibrant, healthy community that were facilitating the presence of God. And I was in Grand Prairie, Alberta, going back to Winnipeg, Manitoba, stopped 
for a couple of hours in Edmonton, Alberta, walked on Jasper Avenue, and these crazy people that were playing guitars and singing then stopped, and one man said, O lost lambs of God, <laughs> hearken unto the Master's voice. Is this John the Baptist here? <laughs> it was strange. I mean, just the language that was being used was bizarre. Yeah. And yet, as I reflect on it, I was the lost lamb of God that was God was calling out through the seemingly weird expression of what they were doing and how they were doing it. And uh, I went to be able to initially just mock and ridicule them, to ask them questions that I knew they wouldn't be able to answer. And yet they gave me some good answers, but as I'm about to leave, all of a sudden, I see light all around them. Hmm. And I'm very aware that this light immediately was Jesus and that this is the presence that I knew when I was growing up and of a, an awareness of him speaking, but it was from the, you know, such a conscious awareness that he knew my thoughts and I knew his thoughts. And it was like speaking and communicating without a word being spoken. Wow. And it wasn't even like the still small voice of God or the internal audible voice of God. It was more about feeling like he's reading my mind and my heart and I'm reading his mind and his heart without a word being expressed and him expressing that he was everything that I was looking for. And I was predominantly aware of this unconditional love and complete acceptance that he had of me that was emanating from this light that I was experiencing. And I really realized at that time, this is a manifestation of Jesus, not in a physical form, but in the form of light. And this is what I've been looking for for my entire life. It's a very this, tangible, very real experience. It was the most real thing that I've ever experienced, and it was more real than anything else. It was so profound there were no questions or there were no doubts. Yeah. And at that time, I made the decision that I'm going to stay in Edmonton instead of going back to Winnipeg and check this out. I will say when I went to the meetings, uh, just so you know, I was in a drug culture as well. And so I threw away all of my drugs, flushed them down the toilet and thought, if I'm serious about this, I need to first of all get rid of this. Yeah. And I went to the first meeting and the presence of God was there in such a profound way, it terrified me. Because in the presence of God, it wasn't except Jesus as Savior. It was such a manifestation of Jesus as Lord, and that I either had to surrender my life to his lordship, or I was not able to stay there because he was asking me for everything. And again, it was like a conscious awareness that he'd given everything for me, and now he wanted everything of me in return. And I would say these were times where it was though the worship was a complete surrender of my will and my life to him as the Lord of my life. It wasn't about him being my Savior. It was about him being my Lord. But the meetings were three to eight hours long, wow. and the whole place would be weeping from beginning to end of the meeting because you're in the you're in the very presence of God, and the manifestation of His presence was so profound and so 
overwhelming and you're held between this incredible love and this incredible terror and the fear hmm. of the Lord at the same time. Wow. Uh, unless you've experienced it, there's no way that in one sense I could use any words to be able to articulate it or describe it. And so it's held in this tension. Hmm. And the whole place would be weeping, and from beginning to end of the meeting, and then nobody crying out, more, Lord. Everybody going, no more, Lord, no more, Lord, because he was pouring in more than you could contain, and you felt like your whole being would be ready to burst like a water balloon, but you'd blow into a, a million pieces. Wow. Because he's pouring in more than you had the capacity to contain, and yet by the encounter, your spiritual man was growing and expanding by being in his presence and by being filled to overflowing repeatedly. And every time I had a greater capacity to experience more because my spiritual man was growing and increasing by the experience of his presence. Hmm. They had stated this is probably, uh, it had been diminishing over the last few years so that I was more near the tail end of this move of the Spirit of God. And so they told me stories of what was happening before, but even at this end of this move of God, I would get on the bus to go to work at the Northern Alberta Dairy Pool, and on the bus, at times, people would say, there's light all around you, or even things like, you know God, don't you? Wow. Or at times, and I don't think it was, it was simply, I think like a realization of the kind of relationship that we can have, but people were that you'd be sitting near or around you without even conversation would be breaking down and beginning to weep, wow. repenting of their sin, and then I'd be able to share with them that they needed to know Jesus. But there was a conviction of sin, but not necessarily knowing what to do with it. And it was simply, I would say, we became carriers of the presence of God. Yeah. And we had story after story after story of the people in the community having encounters where many are having the same kinds of experiences. Sounds or, like um, a bit about Job where God shows up on the scene and Job, having been a righteous man, could say, okay, my ears have heard about you, but this is something else. My eyes, like I'm, I'm seeing you now. Yes. Or that, that song... Um, we used to sing, uh, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. This desire that, okay, we do a lot of talk. We, we have these notions or these beliefs, these agreements that, that God exists, that God's presence is here with us. I thank you, Father, that your presence is here with us today. And we are bored after an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> and you're sharing these, these stories where people don't want to leave because it feels like, Jesus himself is in the room. Absolutely. I would say in the midst of the programs, everything shifts. We have his omnipresence, and then we have his manifest presence. Yeah. I will say in the manifest presence of God, uh, two or three songs is never enough. Hmm. And it's not going through a program or a routine. It's more spirit-led. But I will also identify we went to the Misericordia Hospital in Edmonton because of a friend was sick. And I don't even remember what it was that he was sick with, 
but it was a room that there were four beds in and there were four people in the room. We prayed for our friend and he was completely healed. And then these others in the other beds asked, could you pray for us? And they were healed. And some of them even had intravenous in and they're hooked up to a variety of different things. Yeah, Four people were instantly healed in the hospital. So I still have a very clear memory of that encounter. But they're so excited. They're taking out their intravenous. Uh, They're going into the bathroom that's in that room with the four beds. And they're getting dressed and they're packing up and getting ready to go. Well, as this is taking place, the nurses come in. They know the conditions of these people, and they're looking at them full of joy, full of life, and getting dressed and getting ready to go. I will say uh, I probably would have felt like we could have gone into Hmm. every room and cleared out the hospital, but instead we were escorted out of the hospital. Wow. And because they didn't know what was going on or what to do with this. So you've had this radical experience where all of a sudden it's like you've been uh, catapulted into a new way of living, a new way of walking with Jesus. Jesus is becoming real. His power is just flowing through your life. What's going on inside of you as a young man as you're, you're seeing these changes and experiencing this new way of life? I would say that I just wanted a more intimate relationship with the Lord as a result of what I was experiencing. And I would identify, other than working at the Northern Alberta Dairy Pool or riding on the bus or having times of going out on the street to be able to worship, to be able to witness, all my downtime was in a closet in the home that I was staying in reading the Word of God, and I went through the New Testament once a week. I couldn't get enough of God's Word. And so I'd probably spent about six months altogether going through the New Testament once a week. Hmm. And it was only after doing that for six months that I started going through the Old Testament. And so I'd be in the Word, and I'd be in prayer. I'd be off and fasting whenever, whenever I felt prompted to. At those times, it was short fasts. It was a day. It was three days. It was never any long extended fasting. I just wanted a greater reality mm. uh, of relationship. And everything that I saw in the Word was, to me, more pointing me and drawing me into a greater relationship. So it wasn't, in one sense, for a pursuit or acquiring more knowledge, the knowledge was sort of like an invitation into an experience, into an encounter, and that I could either just gain more knowledge and information about God, like you said of Job. And I love that Job doesn't even identify that he heard God. He said, I heard about you, Hmm. but now my eyes see you. In other words, now I understand you. Now I know you, I see you, I understand you, I get you. He hadn't even heard before. I'd heard about you, he says. Yeah. And so I, I would say I was curious to how close I could get personally, and I was curious to how much of his presence we could carry as a community. And I would identify now 
that a, a metrics that I would want to be able to look at the health of a church is how much of the presence of God do they facilitate? As it says in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14, uh, when an unbeliever comes into your midst, he's going to fall on his faith and say of a truth, God is in this place. And when does that happen? It's when through the prophetic, the secrets of his, hearts, of his heart are laid bare. And as that takes place and he's hearing God prophetically through people, and it's touching his heart that he responds by falling on his face and saying, of a truth, God is in this place. Hmm. So I think it's the presence of God. I think it's the prophetic, which also facilitates it. But I would identify that I do believe that in his presence that we see and that we hear. And that's where the prophetic is actually a flow from. Mm-hmm. Of That we see and hear what God is saying and what he is doing in the people around us. Yeah. That's kind of where we, we started this conversation is this this uh, experience of, of hearing or having someone uh, hear God's voice or, or prophesy into my life. And um, now that you've had this experience, what did it look like to to grow in that, to hear God's voice, to walk in the prophetic? I would identify in the midst of it probably one of the main things that I highly value of what I grew to understand is that revelation or words of knowledge or discernment are for my diagnostic. Because I would quite often see people's sin, and in particular sexual sin, I had a keen discernment for that, that I would confront people and call them to repentance. And it was a lack of knowledge or understanding that the revelation was not in one sense the green light to be able to go ahead and speak. Neither was a word of knowledge, neither was discernment, that it was for my diagnostic information and that God wanted to bring me to the place of being able to minister life. And when I was speaking just about their sin, I'm speaking from the death side of the cross and not the life side of the cross of the resurrection. We were in a place called Brooks, Alberta, which is almost exactly halfway between Winnipeg and Victoria. We went to visit a friend. This is just outside of Calgary. And when we visited, we were visiting the friend. He introduced me to somebody that was visiting him. And he introduced my wife, Lorraine, and myself to this woman. And as I shook her hand, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want her to repent. She's not trusting me to be a father to her, a father to her boys, or a husband to her. And I thought, this is a hard word to be able to share with somebody that I've just met. Yeah. And I felt, uh, you know, I'm hearing this, but I'm having a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at the same time of that I can't release this. And so that evening I told my wife Lorraine what I'd experienced, and I asked her if we could pray for this lady, and we prayed, and just praying, Lord, just uh, if we're supposed to share, give us the opportunity and prepare her heart. So the next day we actually had the opportunity and we went for a drive together, and we're just dialoguing on different things, and I started just feeling prompted to, by the Holy Spirit to ask a few questions. Well, I found out through the questions, and there had already been a, a level of connection that was taking place, 
that in that connection, she started to just, I feel safe. She's feeling like she can trust us. And she said, well, actually, one year ago, my husband died. And he had a heart attack while we were on a horse-drawn sleigh ride. And my children were there with me. And she said, it's been extremely difficult raising my two boys on my own ever since I've lost my husband. And as she's sharing this, I could see she is trying in the process of trying to resolve, mm. if God's good and God's loving, why did he allow my husband to die? And now I'm here, left alone, a single mother, raising my two boys. As she is communicating these things, my heart is overwhelmed mm. by her openness and her humility and her willing to entrust this to us. And what starts flowing out of me, and I call it the green light of grace now, I'm being moved with compassion. I'm not moved with revelation. I'm moved with compassion. And I said, it blesses me to see the way that you're trying to process this when you don't understand why God allowed it. And you're trying to process this and you wish that you were able to trust God, but you don't understand why this happened. And so through the affirmation, I said, it so blesses me to see the way you're trying to get on the other side of this, to trust him to be a father to you, a father to your boys, and a husband to you. I said, it just amazes me of watching your heart. And when we, when I just spoke words of affirmation to her in the midst of her journey, she began to weep. And she wept for 30 to 40 minutes, asking the Lord to forgive her for not trusting him wow. in these areas. And the Lord later did a video replay. He said, I never said, I want you to tell her to repent. I said, I want her to repent and that she's not trusting me here, here, and here. But if you would have spoken those things that I gave you for your revelation and diagnostic, then she would have felt like I was grieved or angry with her and that I was disappointed in her for not trusting me. And I would have misrepresented the Lord even though I would have spoken truth. And that we wouldn't have had the experience of her repenting because she was by the Lord through the affirmation invited into a place. Hmm. And affirmed, and she through the affirmation, she realized he wasn't angry or disappointed with her. And so in it, it probably shifted my understanding of the prophetic more than any other encounter that I've ever had. And I call it since that time, the green light of grace. Hmm. Revelation does not give you authority to speak. Grace does. Yeah. Being moved with compassion does. That probably revolutionized my understanding of the prophetic and of the process of moving from whether revelation, discernment, words of knowledge to the place of growing in a sensitivity that now is the time to be able to release it and now is the awareness. Now I've, I've got grace, but I will say as a result of the experience over time, hmm. the process of getting a word of knowledge or discernment to being able to minister a prophetic word that's going to bring life, that transition process is quicker. Yeah. And I also realized my praying for the woman wasn't so much preparing her heart as it was preparing my heart to represent him and speak. Yeah. It's yeah. like the, the Valley of Dry Bones. It's this great picture that we see about Ezekiel, who sees a valley of dry bones. And I think that maybe in some people's experience, what they've known of, of the prophetic or 
hearing God's voice or people who have claimed to hear God's voice is the equivalent of, of prophesying, that's the valley of dry bones. Like, well, no, duh. Like, I know my problems. <laughs> you can speak into my life and I'm aware of my problems probably more than you are. Or there's a potential for those death words or those uh, other side of the cross words to be abusive or hurtful or manipulative. But you're saying that there's this redemptive flipping or this perspective of, okay, what's on the other side of the cross? How can we see it through that light? Instead of saying, this is a valley of dry bones, saying, uh, you know, life to these bones and breath to these bones and, and flesh to come onto them. It should be, in one sense, giving hope, in particular, for the future. Because all the hope we have for tomorrow is where we get grace for today. Mm-hmm. And what the person is needing is the grace for today. But what it does is it builds up hope and it builds up faith that they can see beyond their circumstance to something of the future. That future not may not necessarily be a, a foretelling. It might be a forthtelling of who they are, of how the Father sees them. But either way, it imparts a grace that releases a hope, but the hope also causes them to then experience grace today. Hmm. But it's because of the hope that they have for tomorrow because of the expression of God's heart of either who they are or what he has planned or purposed for them. Hmm. And we need grace grace each day. I love to just say, whoever has the most grace wins. And if we lose hope for tomorrow, we lose the ability to experience grace for today. And life is difficult, not because of circumstance, but life is difficult because whenever we lose hope in God, who's the God of hope, we lose the ability and the capacity to be experiencing the grace that he has for us. He's called the spirit of grace. Yeah. And we, ha- we w- are walking through life with not the grace that's available to us, which is accessible by the hope that we have for tomorrow because of who he is, because of what he has promised, because of the inherits- inheritance that we have in Christ. Mm-hmm. For people who are listening, you've had some crazy stories, and, and maybe we should just have a, a back-to-back stories episode, but someone who might feel disconnected from hearing God's voice, or maybe they feel a bit more unsure of themselves. Maybe they're uh, still questioning how much they can hear God's voice. What would you encourage them, or what would you say to them in this journey of building a real, tangible, meaningful relationship with Jesus? I would, I would say and, uh, to be able to probably recognize that we're being presumptuous when we think that all our thoughts are our own thoughts. Hmm. And maybe it's even, in one sense, a degree of arrogance or ignorance when we think the thoughts that we have are our own thoughts. I think God is speaking to everybody. I think he's speaking continually. And I think it's gaining and growing in the sensitivity to be able to recognize that he is speaking. And we've got to stop thinking that these brilliant thoughts or these random thoughts are our thoughts. And so I would say that God is constantly speaking. What he is saying is unique to each one of us, depending upon where we are at in our journey. 
and also of what's going on in the people around us. Hmm. But it's that recognition. So even today, I was just thinking about somebody that I felt like I need to call them. And the fascinating thing is, as soon as that took place, they called me. This is just a, you know, a couple of hours ago. And as they called me, all of a sudden, I get a download from the Lord of what His heart is for them, and I'm just ministering to them prophetically. And so quite often it happens just through a conversation, but it was almost as though there was an alert in advance of that I need to talk to this person. Hmm. That's all I had. But when they phoned at that moment in time, all of a sudden, then because of that, I'm totally trusting what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, and I'm trusting that it's from God. And if we wait for more information, quite often nothing comes. But when we just start sharing the little bits that we have, yeah, all of a sudden it starts to flow because you've opened up the door, opened up the well, and there's a flow and you can continue to trust in that, but then there's the sensitivity when it's done. Yeah. And so uh, I'll share a story with you that I, I love. I was at a ministerial meeting, and uh, this was on Quadra Street. And I was coming home, and I had been late because I quite often hang out with everybody longer than, hmm. than the most, and usually one of the last to leave. But I'm thinking, I need to get going. My wife needs the vehicle. She has a one o'clock doctor's appointment. She asked me to be home in time so she was able to get to her doctor's appointment. So I'm on my way home, and right by Quadra and, and uh, Hillside, and I'm on Quadra, and I'm headed towards Esquimalt. I was going to go over the Bay Street Bridge. There was a woman that was hitchhiking. I just felt the Holy Spirit say, pick her up. But my mind's going, Lorraine needs the car. I'm going to be late. Hmm. If I'm late, she's going to miss her appointment. She's going to be upset with me, and I don't have time for this. That's what I was internally processing. And then I heard the Lord say, you've been asking for more opportunities. And I'm still thinking in my mind, yes, I have been praying for more opportunities to represent him to others and to speak for him. And I'm thinking about Lorraine's needs. But I, would, I decided, you know what? If this is the Lord, uh, I would rather get in trouble with Lorraine <laughs> than in trouble with the Lord. <laughs> and I'd rather not miss the opportunity. Yeah. But I said, Lord, if she's still there when I get around the block. So I had to go all the way to Bay Street. And this probably was probably maybe three minutes, maybe four minutes, turning on Bay Street, turn on Blanchard, turning on Hillside, and then back onto Quadra. I said, if she's still there, I'll pick her up. And I thought, well, I'm going to maybe only be a few minutes late because if she's not there, somebody's already picked her up. And anyway, she was still there. And so I said, where are you going? Where do you need a ride to? And she told me to where she needed to go downtown, only at a few minutes. But as she got in and, I, and she, she told me where she needed to go to, I felt an impression that I, of my Aunt Leona, who's one of my favorite aunts, hmm. and just sort of seeing her picture and then aware, because these kinds of things have happened before, I just said, by any chance, is your name Leona? 
And her eyes went wide. She said, yes, how do you know? Hmm. And I said, well, sometimes I just feel like God speaks to me. Also, uh, has your boyfriend just recently got out of jail? And as a result of that, he's been partying, he's been doing drugs, and you've both been involved in doing more and more drugs, and he ran out of money, and uh, he asked you to go and work on the streets to be able to get money, because you've both been on a, on a little bit of a tear of using heroin and cocaine. And uh, I said, last night, uh, he forced you to go out on the street. And when you came back, you cried out and you said, God, if you're there, I don't want to live like this and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to turn. Mm. And I said, I believe he sent me to you at this time to be able to let you know that he sees and he hears and he cares. And uh, we were able to talk together. We were able to pray together. I won't say that she gave her life to Jesus, but she was incredibly impacted, deeply moved, that God knew her name, hmm. that God had heard her prayers. And she was so moved and so touched by the encounter. So I would say that God proved himself real to her in response to her cry. Now, the fun part of the story as well is this. I'm thinking, oh, well, uh, this was wonderful, and I've been asking for more opportunities. Lorraine's mm. going to be upset because now I'm definitely going to be late for her, <laughs> and she's going to be late for her doctor's appointment. But I got home, and uh, I said, sorry, I'm late. And sh she said, that's okay. My doctor phoned, and he had to change the appointment. Mm. And I go, I just go, God, you're amazing. So uh -huh. I'm allowing my mind to look at my schedule and Lorraine's schedule and limiting potentially an opportunity where I was going to disobey. And yet I made the choice and I took the risk. And I will say it's one of the most wonderful stories that I have of just the faithfulness of God. And I've even seen that he'd orchestrated the, re, the rescheduling of her appointment and so that I didn't get in trouble with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. That's important. Uh, and I'm just amazed at how the Lord orchestrates all the details when he has something for us to be able to do and how we need to make sure that we don't rationalize and process things to the place that we disobey God. Mm -hmm. Because I'll say many of the opportunities are going to come in a time where it doesn't fit into our schedule. Yeah. Or it doesn't fit into our understanding. And it's interesting. It seems like the times of the greatest risk that you're taking seem to be great opportunities. Yeah. And, mm. you know, it may not seem like a great risk, of just being late for my wife so she can't get to her doctor's appointment. But I will say it was still a risk. And I'm so blessed by what God did and by being a part of touching this young woman's life and being able to be a part of showing her, you know, mm -hmm. that the Lord knows her name. Yeah. And that he knows what's going on in her world, and he sees, he hears, and he cares, and he responded to the cry of her heart, which was just the night before. Yeah. This seems like such a 
a crazy story, but I love that it just started with a just a feeling. It started mm-hmm. with just this little nudge. And I think that many of us miss out on these crazy stories, not because we're not qualified, but because we don't even give God a chance in the first place. There's those little, maybe I should call this friend or I've been thinking about someone and we miss out. And that that's the risk you're talking about. Sometimes it's not, am I going to be late uh, for work or is my wife going to be upset? It's, I might look a little bit foolish if I'm wrong or I'm busy or I, I'm distracted, whatever it is. And to step outside of that and step into the moment with God. And it's more a process of learning to not so much tune in God as much as it is of tuning out all the other voices. Yeah. And if we can get good at getting still, and when it says, be still and know that I'm God, it's about intimately and experientially knowing that he's God. Mm -hmm. If we can do that, we're going to start hearing more or maybe not hearing more, but more sensitive to how much he is speaking, how many opportunities that we have each and every day to give somebody a phone call, to be able to sometimes uh, doing things as simple as possible. When we're faithful, the little more is given. So a lot of it, I think, is even the simplicity of learning to be able to be generous, and it's the simple. Yeah, like um, one of the things that helped me coming out of a a severe crippling doubt and and fear in my ability to hear God's voice here at at this church and in the ministry school that was run was this simple thought that you weren't going to teach us how to hear God's voice. You're going to teach us to recognize his voice that we'd heard him all along and just like you, when you're a child, you, you heard him in different ways. You might not have consciously recognized it, but Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, uh, and to some degree, even if you don't, how else would we have come to Christ if we didn't hear his voice? But God is speaking to you. And it's just learning to take those little prompts, learning to step out in faith, learning how to just give encouragement and see what happens and find that that God does speak. Yes. So thank you, Bruce, for for being on today and sharing your stories and showing us kind of what's possible. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, I'll maybe just close with this last scripture. It's out of Job 33, and you may remember it because I use it often. Hmm. It says, Why does man complain that God doesn't answer any of his questions? And then it says, God does speak. Now one way, now another, though man doesn't perceive it. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would increase our spiritual sensitivity, recognizing that you're at work everywhere, all the time, in everyone, and that we can be your hands, your feet, your mouth, your embrace, and that we would see people being touched by you through us, and we'd be satisfied because we're doing what we're created to do. And so, Jesus, awaken awaken us to your presence and to your heart and to your mind. Hey, it's uh, been good hanging out with you, Will. Yeah, thanks for coming. I love hearing the variety of different stories Bruce shared about 
his experience hearing God's voice. What stuck out to you from what he shared? I think one of the biggest nuggets that impacted me was just how God speaks in small ways to start very often. Yes. And then those grow into something meaningful and impactful. But we could so easily ignore those little nudges and that small whisper and miss it. Mm-hmm. And it's rewarding when you do follow those nudges and just trust that God is speaking to you and that it is him. I can think of this time recently in the last few months where I had been dreaming about a family member that I had never remember dreaming about in my life. And the dreams didn't focus around this person, but it brought him to my attention And I found out later that while this was happening in my dreams, he was in the hospital. And so looking back, I was like, oh my, maybe that is a way that God was reminding me to pray for him. And I found out that my mom actually was having a similar experience at the same time where she was dreaming about him and never had before. Hmm. And so that was a new experience for me in listening for God's voice because I'd never heard him speak to me in that way before. I think we have this misconception that when God speaks, it's going to be very clear and very obvious. Mm -hmm. This booming voice from the heavens, thus saith the Lord. But there's all these little moments, these things that could be written off. Maybe it's a, oh, that's a interesting coincidence or... Isn't that the weirdest thing? Yeah. But those are opportunities. Those are the the still small voice of God where if we actually clue into those moments, maybe take that step like Bruce talked about, that risk, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always speaking to us. We just have to listen. That's right. So for you who are listening... What's maybe a little nudge or prompt? What's a person that's popped up in your dreams or throughout the day a random thought that's come up? Where might God already be speaking? And what would it look like to take a risk in that area? Who could you call? Who have you been thinking about lately? We encourage you to take that step and see what happens. And we bless you to be filled with grace and compassion as you share the Father's love. Have a great week. Hey everyone, and welcome to Everyday Impact. You're doing the left thing oh. again. You like speak it with me. Do I? Yeah. You're like, and you're really intense about it. You're like so focused. So <laughs> don't look at you. Yeah. And like, I, it was from my peripherals that I saw you. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. And then I lose my focus. <laughs> But I'll I'll stay I'll stay focused.